Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore our relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Okay, so it's episode 113 of the Plant Cunning Podcast, and we have herbalist Kate Gilday of Woodland Essence on the show. We are really excited to talk with her, and you're going to love this episode. We talk about her business, we talk about flower essences, and how she and her husband came up with the uses for a lot of the native tree flower essences in her area. Now, she's going to be speaking in person at our plant cutting conference this summer on September 9th and 10th. Matthew Wood is also going to be there, Lisa Fazio, Zamboni Funk, and a lot of other really amazing speakers and presenters. If you want to grab some early bird tickets. We're going to have them available starting next week, May 23rd. And to get the link for them, you're going to have to either follow us on Facebook or on Instagram. It's Plant Cunning on either of those platforms. Or sign up for our email list by emailing info at plantcunning.com. Okay, I hope you enjoy the episode. So today on the Plant Cunning Podcast, we are thrilled to have Kate Gilday from Woodland Essence, a herbalist that's pretty local to us. And You're also an Ayurvedic practitioner and a flower essence practitioner and clinical herbalist. So how are you doing today, Kate? Terrific. Really happy that it's spring (laughs) and the flowers are starting to come up and shine and the birds every morning waking up and hearing the bird song is just Mm -hmm. tremendous. Absolutely. So we do have a traditional first question on the podcast and it's how did you come to the plant path? Oh, that's a really good question. So I'm going to take you way back in time. (laughs) So I went to Boston College for nursing school back in the late 60s, early 70s. And at the time, what was happening was people were really looking at health and what health really meant and allopathic medicine. And did it really meet our needs or not? And was there some other way? And there was a little publication called Prevention Magazine that came out of Rodale Press down in Pennsylvania. And I just thought, oh, prevention, how wise is that? Let's prevent illness. What can we do to prevent illness? So that was kind of the beginning part of my wonder. It was really a time of wonder for me. I finished two years at school and then I had a daughter and my life changed. So what I did at that point was I became a house mom. You know, I was home being a mom. And I had also done some different things. I did waitressing. I did childcare. I did daycare, lots of different things. I had another daughter two years later. During that time period, when I look back, I realized another piece of for me was during the beautiful months, I lived in Salem, Massachusetts, which is where I was born. And I would go over to the park and I would just sit with my one daughter and then both daughters and just then play around in the grass. And I began bringing a book over with colored pencils and I just began drawing flowers and being curious about what, what what flower was that and what's that leaf doing and it was I just felt totally called and I am not an artist by any stretch of the imagination but there was something about paying attention really being with whatever flower or plant I was with while the kids were snoozing and it just brought me into this whole new world one step at a time now an addendum to that was that my mother loved gardening And we're a very big family. She had very little time for herself and where she spent it was in the garden with flowers. So that obviously settled someplace in my being as well. So the combination of that happened, plus my interest in helping people heal and maybe helping people be well enough that they didn't get sick or if they did, it was more acute, not chronic. So all of that was sort of churning around. And my two daughters did not respond well to childhood immunizations. They both got sick pretty much after every immunization. So after about four or five pretty rough stories, I thought, all right, there's gotta be another way. This is not working at all. And that's when I dove into herbs big time. However, there were only three books at the time. There was Back to Eden by Jethro Kloss. There was the herb by John Lust. And there was the book by Dr. Christopher. That's all there was until maybe 1975. And this little magazine came out from California, which I found in my local Erwan store, which is where you would get organic 
grains and foods and things like that. And it was called well-being. And one of the main people in there was Rosemary Gladstar and also Kathy Cavill and Christopher Hobbs and William Lasassiere. It was just a whole host of people that they were just names for me, but they were writing these articles and I was totally hooked. So I began studying all I could on my own, pretty much self-taught, along with whatever books came out. And then in 1985, so it was 10 years later, I met Susan Weed. And she came to our local area at the time I was living in Western Massachusetts. I had already had a small business called The Herb Field, where I was making oils and salves for moms and babies, because that was kind of my life at the time. And I traveled down to Susan's after initially learning from her at a friend's in Western Mass and spent a few three-day weekends down there. And Susan taught the wise woman way. So the idea that we had that internal wisdom and we already knew the story, it was kind of awakening that story in us and deepening in our connection with the plants. The wild plants in particular were the ones that I was really drawn to, although I also loved gardening. So, so that lasted for a while. And then by 1990, um, I was really ready to fly, not really knowing I was ready to fly. I had been a part of a group of homeopath students and one of the women in this class, her name was Peggy, she was always asking me, well, what about an herb? Or what herb would this homeopathic herb be from? Or how would you use this? And finally she said, can will you just walk us around your garden and tell us what you know? And I thought, okay, I don't know how much I know, but sure. And that night we realized we could have stayed out there for hours and hours because it turned out that I did know a lot. <laughs> And wow. was from the plants themselves and from the wonderful questions people would ask. So I began having evening walks once a week. And, and that led to people asking how I could help them, which led to a small practice. And then I began teaching people who really wanted to put the time in. I did apprenticeships. So they were eight weeks. So it was spring, summer and fall apprenticeships. And yes. I did that for a number of years as well. So, of course, the more you learn, the more you share, the more you want to learn, the more you want to share. So it's <laughs> kind of one of those wonderful loops that has happened. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And then let's see what happened after that. Okay. So that was the herb field. Then we moved to a little hill town called Wendell, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. outside of the Amherst area. And I was doing the same kinds of things there with other people, mostly women. It was mostly women that were in my groups. Occasionally a, a brave man would show up and be part of the teaching, which was really fun. But along that time, also, I met a woman who worked with flower essences and which I was very interested in and intrigued with because I was recognizing that some herbs, the herbs that I knew well, that I felt comfortable sharing with people would work for many people, but not for some, or it worked to a degree, but the same condition would come up or a different condition would come up. And yeah. So the idea of, which several herbalists were on to at the time, several healers, probably practitioners of, you know, homeopathy as well, was that there's, there's a physical, how can I put this? At some point, what's in our souls, our spirits, our minds, our hearts, our experiences can develop into something that looks more like dis-ease, like an unease in our body. And so if we follow that line back, so we start with the, the what I would call kind of the final expression being in the physical body. If we can look back and like kind of look at the template of how, how did that arise? What are things that have been in discord in our lives? Or what stories do we hear as a child about ourselves that we've continued to believe? Where, where is that discord? How can we heal that? Is there a way that we can hook things back up where they've been broken? or set aside, or are not working in a, a way that brings forth our own light? Where is our light hidden? You know, how, how can we reach those? And I really felt like flower essences were possible. So I began taking them for myself and had some pretty wonderful experiences. And then I remember my father who was he had some, he had some problems, especially with his liver. And I thought, well, we were giving him some tinctures. He loved skullcap. Skullcap was really great for him. 
put in his coffee every morning, which I thought was great. <laughs> anyway, I said, so are you willing to work with a flower essence? Do you think that might help you? And he was just, you know, I'll try anything. So I can't remember the flower essence that I gave him, but I gave him something where he wanted to understand what it was going to do. And of course, anybody would want to know that, you know. So I said, well, if you think about it, and I remember him always speaking very highly of the gentleman who spoke about the stars back then, Carl Sagan, and watched all the productions that were done with Carl speaking. So I said, well, if you can think about it this way, like, you know, we're all kind of stardust, you know, we all kind of come from the same place, but, and so, and so did the plants and everything that's here. And so sometimes if there's a discord, then a plant or a flower or this kind of essence that I'm talking about can sometimes make that connection and, and heal that connection so things are running more smoothly. So he was like, oh, that's kind of like if you are running electricity and the wires break, then you have to put them back together again and the electricity is flowing again. I was like, brilliant. Yes, that's it. <laughs> so on a very practical level. And at that point, I began using them with my family and my neighbors and my friends and my community and people loved them. And I found that in my practice for many years, I would, people would often leave with a formula or a tea, some recommendations or maybe physical therapy or whatever, and a flower essence. And I would hear back from them in three or four weeks. They would come back and they said, well, the tincture was good. I kind of forgot to take it most of the time. The tea I liked, but I work. I forget to make it in the morning. I want another one of those little bottles though. That's what I really wow. need. Yeah. So it was just like, oh my gosh. So now, so flower essences became a very important part of my practice. And, and still, I no longer have an active practice because woodland essence takes pretty much all my time, but I still have maybe a dozen people that I have worked with over the years that, you know, they call once a month for their new flower essence. And oh. The work that these people have done, some have had very, very difficult traumas in their life, but they step-by-step, step, like peeling an onion or stepping forward through a new trail, they, they do it bravely and they are in the incredibly, what I would call more uplifted, light, understanding places of self-love. Yeah. Um, time goes on, so amazing yeah i mean it makes a lot of sense from like esoteric philosophy you know descending planes like this things move down from the spiritual plane into like the astral and etheric and into the physical physical is kind of like the final effect as you were saying and right. yeah it makes sense if you're tweaking things up here it's going to have downstream effects yeah it's a nice way of looking at it that's right yeah, inner, outer, upper, down, into us. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing because we're not just, I mean, we're not just physical beings. Of course, right. you know, we have right. so many aspects. And also that discord has to do with ourselves and nature as well. And the longer I've been working with plants and more recently over the last 20 years, trees, the forests, it's like, yes, we are home. We just have to remember we're home. And what does home look like? And how do we take care of our home? And how are we fed by our home? And who lives in our home? And we're not really the bosses. I mean, we think we are as human beings, but yeah, <laughs> right. We like to think we're all powerful. Right. Uh, I know. I know. Feeds into our image. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. It's so true. So we landed here. Let me see. Yeah. When did you come to Central New York? We came. My husband, when we where we lived in. Central Mass in this beautiful little hill town it was the perfect place to raise our children. Perfect place. It, 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 you hear that story of it takes a community to raise a child. That's what we had. We were so fortunate. And my children had incredible friends. And basically all the parents took care of all the kids. But we were right in the center of town. Now, it's the kind of town that don't blink. You're going to go through it. So it was this main, the main street, but it was pretty quiet most of the time. Beautiful farmland, people of all ages living around. The elders were still there. It was very beautiful. Still horses were pulling plows at some point too, and then tractors. So my kids, it was kind of a farming community in state forest. So it had kind of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. When they had grown, let me see, my son was 10 years old. When my husband got involved with a group of people who were very involved in the old growth forest, a gentleman whose name is Bob Leverett, who lives in the Springfield, Massachusetts area, began taking 
a number of us out into the woods, Western Massachusetts, Mohawk State Park. We saw some of the old growth pines that were like incredible. I think the oldest tallest pine is said to be in that Mohawk State Forest. And we met Mohawk people and we were invited to come out here to where we live now on Teacup Street in Colebrook. <laughs> That's the name of our, our street by a, a judgment who was Mohawk. And he, we actually purchased some of his land that he had. So we thought what we thought was going to happen was we were going to join forces with, you know, us whiteies and native come together with the teachings that we both had to share. But things, you know, life always has another idea for you. So other things happened. People had problems, health problems. Center never happened. We stayed here. We developed a center. The folks that we connected with, several things happened in their families. They wound up moving away. So it was an interesting, not easy 10 years. However, that being said, I felt like the gift that was given to us is, for me personally, was that I had left what I would call a people community where I was known and was held and held other people. It was just a, it was just a people community and I moved to a forest community. And so I became- Wow, yeah. I know. So a part of me really came alive that, you know, wasn't, that was sort of looking for that without my knowing it. Mm. I grew up in suburbia. I grew up, you know, north of Boston. And then we came to central Massachusetts or, you know, western, central western near the Connecticut River. Mm -hmm. That was another step. So we were in farmland with woods. And then we came here. It was just like, there is farmland, but it's down there uh -huh. in the forest. And when mm -hmm. we came, we landed in 1995. It really still was the southern aspect of the northern boreal forest. Wow. Mostly spruces, firs, pines, lots of different kinds of lichens, club mosses. It was amazing. I just felt like I entered the Northland, which you yeah. know, I thought of that as a place was the Northland, and now I was in it. So, and the, our nearest neighbors about a mile away was what that was at that time. Things have changed, of course, things change. So, and the other thing that's changed over the last, we've been here for 28 years now, so is the forest itself. So mm. we've seen the effects of climate change here, we started seeing about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So when we first landed here, our winters were, you know, minus 30, 35 degrees for, you know, a week at a time, a few times in the winter. Mm -hmm. I don't really see that. And that kind of cold really is a way of cleansing. Mm. Yes. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. And it also made me incredibly humble, you know, in terms mm. of. No, nope, the car's not going to start today. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and we also live, we've lived off grid since we've been here. So we started with just a small solar unit and then we have a pretty amazing solar. Yeah, it's not really a farm, but it's a solar area that we have, which is really helpful. So it was very sad. So we began watching the balsam firs die and then the Scots pines die. Mm -hmm. And the hemlocks miraculously which are dying in the more in the east from the woolly adelgids attack and the little kind and insect. For some reason, so far, we have been spared that particular problem. But the climate change has been hard because it weakens them. It throws the trees off of their, what they consider sort of their usual pattern, yeah. just to have a certain kind of cold, certain kind of warmth, certain kind of light, all the rest of it, certain kind of moisture you know we've had many dry summers here too which was unusual and so but I have to say and I, I love that we're talking today because we had talked last year I would have maybe a different slant on this but my awareness of the young ones who are coming up yeah yeah so strong so beautiful so vibrant and it might be my own eternal optimism that I'm speaking of, but <laughs> I think not. I really think that something's changing here. And my question becomes, you know, I am not a tree expert by any means. I just love them yeah. <laughs> and keep learning from them. But I'm wondering if some of these trees are going to get a new story through the new DNA and the new seeds that have fallen, mm. because it's really the only the trees that I've seen for the, that have been born in the last, you can kind of tell how old a tree is when it's young the evergreens in particular, that's yeah. probably been in the last 10 years, eight to 10 years, I'd say. So I have hope. 
And so as we watch this landscape change, you know, and so many of the tall trees, which have been dead for a while, they're now falling. Mm. Young ones are kind of coming up in between their branches. And mm -hmm. so in a way it can look painful, but another way it looks so hopeful. So yeah. hanging on to that hope. So. Mm. so we began learning about the trees and we had to still make a living. So what we're gonna do. So I started another practice. My husband, who's an amazing woodworker, cabinet maker, builder, he traveled for work for the first while. And then we began to, we decided to become New York state guides and bring people in the woods. Nice. So that was probably one of my favorite things I've ever done in my life. And cool. my husband's a total forest guy. So he grew up in the forest in the woods of Western Mass. So we did that together. And then we, he built a beautiful octagon for our teaching center. And we invited people like Matthew Wood and Christopher Hobbs and David Dalton and all these wonderful people, Margie Flint and Chris, Chris, I'm trying to think of Chris's name, Chris Morano from Western Mass. They all came at one time or another and taught. And I taught here and John taught here. And he did basket making classes, basket making backpacks from like ash trees. So not woven, but more like strapped on your back with the bark coming out. Nice. Um, he and his friend Michael taught, let me see, they made canoes, not canoes, Michael made canoes. They did a few other things as well. They did snowshoes, which was oh. like incredible course. So anything to do with wood. So mm -hmm. that was great. And that served us well. And at the same time with an essence, very organically was growing, you know, small. It was very, mm -hmm. at the time you have to remember, this was a time there was no cell phones. We didn't even have a computer until like 2000. <laughs> yeah. Like just word of mouth, we would send, we had a mailing list and people would call and we get, you know, checks in the mail with a little order for some of the products that we had. Cool. People knew of us because of all the wonderful conferences. Mm -hmm. So just like your, your conference now will bring yeah. people together, which is really so fabulous. Pam Montgomery did Green Nations for many years. Mm. Gail Ulrich, a dear friend, and Rosemary Gladstar, they did the, uh, Gail started the Women's Herbal Conference, and Rosemary joined her after a number of years, and that was probably one of the most wonderful weekends every year of all of our, all of our, all of our lives. It was like getting yeah. family and good friends and sisters all over again. Mm -hmm. So we did that here, and people met, and I always felt like when you create a space for something to happen... You may be the creator, but you have no idea how these people are going to find each other and what's going to happen, the magic that happens from that. So yeah. I'm excited for you both doing that. It's really great. Thank you. Thank I'm you. super yes. excited. Really exciting. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I'm going to fast forward to 2005 when we, we had known Stephen Buhner for many years. He became one of my dear friends and definitely a teacher from the very beginning. And Stephen, right around then, wrote a book about Lyme disease. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And before that, he had done a book about men's health. And he asked, could you possibly supply the Scots pine pollen that mm. I'm going to be talking about? Yeah. And I was like, sure. And, you know, I turned to Don and I was like, how much do you think we should make? You know, think we should make as much as a gallon or two gallons? This is back in the day, you know? And he was like, I don't know, that's a lot. I said, yeah, but it lasts for five years. Let's do two gallons. So we did two gallons. And we completely sold out, you know, in the first wow. year. So the next year we made the big leap and did five gallons. So <laughs> I'm just smiling now because I think in my really early days, we'd make things in like cups and pints. And yeah. first time I yeah. ever made a quart of echinacea tincture, I thought, how am I ever going to, who's going to ever need that much? You know, and, uh -huh. and it's like that movie with Kevin Costner in it, the baseball movie. It's like, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. They'll find you, you know, so... <laughs> There was that. And so it was clear that we were growing. Stephen needed some place as a resource for some of the herbs and the formulas. So we, along with a friendship and a teacher-student, we also developed a kind of a, a business relationship as well, where we worked on formulas together. He would share formulas that he created, and we became a source for people with Lyme, which wow. really was wonderful. And then in 2000, and I think it was 2012, well, I'm going to say we were still continuing apprenticeship work. People, people lived with us and apprentices with us for like months at a time. We were doing all these other things as well. And mm -hmm. one of the young women came and said, you need a website. And I was just like, 
a website. Oh, you know, we had a little website. So we have a little website. She goes, no, 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 no. You need a real website. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Lizzie. And she created that for us. And it was, it was amazing for me because it was like, for me, I'm a, I'm a triple Taurus. So I'm just like, you know, I'm slow and steady. And, I keep uh -huh. and this was like <laughs> my Sagittarius rising kicked in. And all of a sudden it was like this huge, like, wow. <laughs> Yeah. So people found us and we were happy they found us because we really did have really good herbs to help support them in whatever struggles that they were going through. Um, so we did that for, well, a few years. And then in 2015, I had both Lyme and Babesia. And for about a year and a half, I was not well at all. Um, which the, the whole time, not in the beginning, because I was too sick to even be able to think, but when I was healing, I realized this is a great opportunity for me to be on the other side of all the phone calls and stories and letters and emails that we were getting. I understood what they meant when they said, I'm so tired. I can't lift my head off the pillow. Yeah. I can't eat. I can barely drink, mm -hmm. you know, and all those things. And I thought, oh my gosh. And honestly, mine was a year and a half is like, that's an acute situation. That is not a long-term chronic situation. Did yeah. it take some time? Yes. But I eventually got myself back. But we hear from stories to this day, people call and write and hope that there's some way, something. There's many practitioners out there, Lyme, Lyme literate practitioners, Lyme literate doctors, but there's equal as many, if not more, people who still think that Lyme is not real. And so really? the stories that these people <clears throat> tell us, it's so sad. And these, and you have people wind up having to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a number of wonderful Lyme sites now. I think one is called LymeDisease.org. You can just type in Lyme and all those wonderful organizations will pop up. There's a lot more support now than there was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's helpful. So, so I continue to develop programs on um, products rather and uh, formulas for people who need it and now we do uh, glycerites for folks for children and for people who can't handle alcohol yeah. so and in hearing that this summer it's supposed to be quite an outstandingly not great summer for people with both Lyme and also the ticks population is going to be supposedly very very healthy this next year and some of the co-infections will be really drastically affecting people we're already seeing, we don't see too many ticks where we are here, but we're already getting calls from people where the ticks are plentiful. And what I try to tell people is, yes, you have a tick. Yes, there are places that you can send it for testing. Yes, there are doctors that are a little bit, but it takes a lot of legwork for people to find that. So we're working on that as well, trying to find clinics for people, ways that they can go to places like there's some states that have free testing for the ticks but there's others that you have to pay and not everybody can afford to pay to have their every tick tested. New York state had a great program out in Syracuse, the Syracuse university. And they, they ran out of funding. So they're, they can't do it right now. So they're just wow. hoping that more funding will come in, but yeah. what a good service. And they found that during the time that they were testing the ticks more than 40, between 45 and 47% of the ticks were infected with one or another of the infections yeah. that could have been passed on to the person. So it was a great program and I hope it comes up again. But meanwhile, for people to realize that there are, there are ways that you can be helped, you can be supported. So test the, you know, to check on those, on those sites that you can find because they're there and there's places yeah. to help. So mm -hmm. yeah. And Buner's protocols seem like so helpful, but like, because a lot of people weren't talking about it and people were really affected by it. Yeah. Yeah. But are there, do are there preventative things for, for, for Lyme to your knowledge? Like, is, like always checking yourself after you come out of the woods. Is right. One. Right. No, that is totally important. I tell people, especially if you're near woodlands and the reality is, is that the ticks aren't just hanging out in the woodlands. They're kind of everywhere. Right. They're by the water's edge, they're in the grass, the tall grass in the fields. But just to do, you do a tick check once a day for mm -hmm. yourself if you can. It's hard if you live alone, but if you have a partner, I feel like it's it's kind of an intimate thing to do. You know, you're just like checking people's ears, you know, key yeah. places that the other person can't really see, and you know, yeah. and it makes a big difference, you know, to just have that happen. 
But the other thing is that there's a there's a product that people can use. We get calls all the time for, is there a particular herbal spray that we can use? And there's many different companies that have many different sprays. And I think as long as it has geranium in it, it's definitely going to be supportive. Mm -hmm. But we have gone to the cedar side. Cedar, okay. It's it's called cedar side, C-E-D-A-R-C-I-D-E. Okay. And the cedar side used to be just for and kind of any insects, but now they've fine-tuned it. And the cedar, of course, natural. They yeah. fine-tuned it to actually be, I think they call it tick shield. So that you can use that if you want. It's not a bad idea. So those are the best ways, the only ways that I really know, and just to be aware. But as soon as you get a tick to, to actually take any of your, any favorite herbal antibiotic that you have. I saw your spray too. That's like an after bite spray for insect bites. So that's like a topical spray. Yeah, And, the, and so that is for, so the after bite mm-hmm. is for after you've been bit, you take the tick off as best as you can with either fine tweezers or there's a number of little I think they call it the tick tornado, you know, a little appliance that you can get the tick off. Mm-hmm. And then you can take, really, you can just take echinacea, honestly, with yeah. plantain and just put it on the area and put a Band-Aid around it. Or if you have one of these herbal formulas, you just soak, you know, the cotton part of a Band-Aid, you just mm-hmm. soak that. Some people like to mix it with a little dry clay. So it kind of has more of a drawing power. Mm-hmm. You can use plantain that way as well. And just put it on and leave it on and change it once or day once or twice a day for like three days. Yeah. And it's a very helpful thing to do. So um, the echinacea is gonna be the antiviral and the, the plantain draws it out. Yeah. Right. That's right. And that's kind of like when you're waiting to find out, well, yeah. did I get an infection? I did not. People should also know that only it's turned out now only between nine and ten percent of all cases actually get the rash. Right. Oh. People, and many doctors will still say, if you don't have the rash, you don't have Lyme. I know. True story. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's and they want to send people to psychiatrists. I mean, it's really, I'm not going to get on my pulpit right now, but it's really something that we should be paying attention to. And as herbalists, we do have things that can help people. So yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. There's another thing that you hear. It's that if you get the tick off within 24 or 48 hours, no. then you're good. No. Okay. If the tick has attached itself, you don't know if it's, because what happens is when the tick attaches, it might take a minute or 10 minutes or whatever, if she's, he or she is like lazy or not doing anything. But as soon as it makes contact beneath your skin, beneath the epithelium and goes into where there's blood cells, what the, what it does is it releases whatever it has in its Mm -hmm. saliva into Mm -hmm. your blood. Mm -hmm. So even when you're taking it out, you know, it's going to go, ah, you know, it's, it's tricky. It's so tricky to be able to get these off without anything really happening. So, yeah. So that's why if people just know plantain mm-hmm. and can just chew a little plantain, stick it on with a bandaid, mm-hmm. I would say that's a really good first step and then deal with the rest of it as you can. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. to have, and actually it's so funny because I know you were asking me if there's anything I want to talk about happening right now with Lunessa and what we're excited about. So we just put together a little ticket. Awesome. It's so interesting because there's a lot of things I can't say, not even here because of the FDA, because I have a product that sells products. So I can show you the product. I can't tell you what it's used for. Exactly. We won't go into that story right now, but that's (laughs) so annoying. (laughs) But, but yeah, so the ticket comes with a little paper it's like two-sided now because a lot there's a lot of information and it tells you you can send your tick for testing. That's you know, so cool. Take what you should do. I'll send you a I'll just send you a document. Uh, okay. document. And anybody who wants it here will somehow figure out how to make it available through with an essence. Because we really don't say anything on that paper about what anything can do. So mm-hmm. we have a fabulous quality assurance person here who in her past work, worked for another company and was kind of the in-between person between that company and the FDA. So she's really, we're really getting all the paperwork that awesome. we need to, oh yeah, she's great. She's amazing. She's a, she's an angel because it's not something I could do myself. Yeah. So I have her read everything to make sure it's all okay. And then, so we have that if people want that information and happy to send awesome. it to you. Yeah. If you email it to us, then folks can reach out to us through right. our email. Yeah. Or we can post or, it on the, in the description. Yeah. 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 That's great. 
So that's what's happening. The other thing that's happening here, just for all you other herbalists out there who are trying to grow herbs with his deer. Hello. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You emailed us and you said that the deer ate all of your aconite. Last year. The I deer ate everything. It. The deer ate everything. Uh-huh. Nothing, nothing was spared. Not one thing was spared last year. Oh it was gosh. not one thing that was deer resistant. <laughs> Little. Oh, you can't have an herb business if the deer are eating all your herbs. So last year we kind of made squeaked by and we actually had to call on a few other companies that, you know, had fresh product that yeah. didn't have deer around mm -hmm. them. I realized we live in the forest. This is where the deer live. We are in deer country, bear country, well, not wolf country, but coyote country. I mean, this is where, this is their land. We happen to be living here. Mm -hmm. So I want to honor that, but I also want to grow my plants. So this year, my husband, bless his heart, and a couple of other people are building us super fences around the plants that we cannot lose. And mm -hmm. I have to sort of let go of the things that are outside the fence. Yeah. I don't want to wreak war on the wildlife. It's more right. like I'm appreciate, but I have to say for the first 10 years we were here, we never had deer problem, hmm. but there's too many deer. Right. Yeah. One, number two, where we live, deer basically have about a square mile is their home territory. Uh -huh. Okay. And that's not very big. Yeah. And we do have fields down the way. The territory might be a little bit bigger than that. Maybe that's a, a fact from a long time ago. Because I've seen the same deer a mile away. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and, but they they prefer, or what's better for them is if they have some place where there's open land where they can forage. You know, whether it's the cornfields or hay fields, straw, whatever. And that's not here. The only thing that is their little paradise picnic place is woodland essence. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's your garden. Yeah. So, yeah. but the, the, I think that these beautiful fences they're creating are going to really do the trick. So then I can be at peace with my relationship and still have. Uh, they'll be like sanctuaries inside these these uh, fences. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really wild. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm happy that, for you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's good to have, we, oh, we have a lot of Amish neighbors and they, well, not just the Amish neighbors, but our, all of our neighbors take a lot of deer every year. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I do, I, I'm getting into hunting, but. That's great around here too. Yeah. I really, I bow to that. When I first came and I was still kind of a city girl and I was not sure, but I realized these people are feeding their families. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They're not only their, their immediate family, but their extended family as well. Yeah. Those who are too old who are, are people who can't find, can't get food on their own. They're filling freezers. Mm -hmm. And I think God bless them. So yeah. for the ones who, the deer who do still stick around, we can get what's called a nuisance license, but I'm trying mm -hmm. to avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. We also have a lot more fields around here, a lot so more fields. Good. And oh, our yeah. dog is pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty obsessed. Oh, oh, that's great. Mine, mine hands out invitations. So, oh yeah. <laughs> Goes around to the forest. Like, oh, we got some new flowers up. <laughs> she watches them. They watch her. They're like, oh, okay. Really? She's a golden retriever. She loves yes, everybody. It, yeah, totally. And yeah. she, she kind of matches the deer, you know, the golden vibe. <laughs> it's true. That's really true. Um, oh, yeah. That's so the last thing that I can think of that I'd really like to talk about for a minute, because it's I'm become so passionate about the forest and about the woodlands and about us learning more about what is there. In a way, a lot of people are afraid of the woodlands because they have not been able to step in with someone that makes them feel safe so they can mm -hmm. let go of the fear and begin to explore. As soon as people begin to explore and really pay attention to what's there, it's it's really magical. There's so much out there not just the animals, the birds, the insects, and not just the bitey insects, but the other curious, interesting insects, um, the wetlands that are there, the small places, the trees that are so tall. We had, when we first moved here, there was a beautiful golden birch tree up at Pisico. We just lived down from Pisico Lake and we would travel up on to the, the wilds, wilds there. And she was, she was about four or five people around. I mean, she wow. was enormous. Wow. Just enormous. And there was a thinking by the scientists that came to visit with her. And I told you about the old growth people. So that's where we found her was through these folks. Mm -hmm. They thought she was some, she was probably between five and 700 years old. Wow. I know. 
And Sage Mountain up in Vermont also has, we used to call her Grandmother Birch. They have Grandfather Birch up there, which is very similar. Spectacular trees. Those golden birch are, they're gorgeous. They're so gorgeous. Yeah. We have some in the woods here, but oh. none of them are 500 years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're just like, they're like blonde bombshells. That's yeah. what we call them. <laughs> they are so lovely. I know I call them golden light. I mean, that's really what they are. Yes. In fact, my license plate is Lutea, L-U-T-E-A. Oh, cool. <laughs> After the birch, because I, I do love her so much. But there's a woman who is really, I think, a very important person to get to know. Her name is Diana Beresford Kroger. Do you know who she is? Have you met no. her before? Diana is from Canada. She was raised in Ireland. She's one of the last people, if not the last person, to get the, the, the true, I want to say the true, that's not the right to say it, the old Druidic order. Oh, cool. People trained her. Nice. They told her at one time she would be a savior of the forests. She's been in Canada for many years. She's been growing trees. This woman is incredible. She's doing so much work for the trees. So awesome. I'll, I'll, so it's her last name is first name is Diana. Her last name is B E R E S F O R D dash Kroger K R O E G E R. And she her teaching is really the connection between trees and humanity. Cool. And also addressing climate crisis and her one hopeful truth, I call it a truth, is that if we all, first of all, if we stop cutting, well, we keep cutting, I mean, that's part of it. It's part of the formula. But the other part is if each person plants one tree a year, we can totally reverse climate change. Wow. Okay. That's very hopeful. So all of you who are listening to this, if you can, <clears throat> you know, grow one tree each year and a native tree native mm -hmm. to your area or a tree that grows fruit, you know, people who are, you know, growing food for themselves and their community, just, but just one tree a year, that's amazing. So, and when you think of what trees do for us in terms of oxygen, we exchange breath with them, they create shade, which is cooling. You know, our climate's getting hotter. We want to find ways to cool it, actually preserve the waterways, actually preserve the oceans. I mean, the trees, their function is just very intricate and very important. So check out Diana. And yes, she's a beautiful you. documentary called Call of the Forest, The Forgotten Wisdom of Trees. It's a marvelous mm. documentary. So I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah. yeah. So before we wrap up, there are a couple of questions I would like to ask to sure. explore a little further, like the flower essences. So from what I know about flower essences, there's like the Bach flower essences. Those are like the original ones. And they're, they have like, some west coast ones and you, to really know what each flower essence does it takes kind of an intuitive understanding and also experiential working through it so what are the kinds of flower essences you work with and, and i know that you work with the trees around you that you that you so how did you start working with them and how do you find out what they do and, and how to work with them. Uh, thanks for that question i would love to jump into that so in the mid 80s Early, early 80s, actually, I started working with flower essences and in terms of just taking them myself and then started giving them out to other people. But at the same time, I was kind of like wondering how that understanding happens. Like, how do you pick up on what something has to share with you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That time I had learned from Matthew and other people, you know, this mid 80s, late 80s, all through that time, I had learned, you know, the plants have a lot to share with you as long as you know how to listen and look so look at the form look at the gesture look at where they live look at the color that they are where where are they indigenous to just all these different questions that you could have and the the hardest but sweetest practice was stopping long enough to just sit in silence and pay attention mm -hmm. and that a lot of times is when you you feel, we all have a feeling sense, all of us. And we, with animals, with other people, with places, with, we we, the, we can naturally feel kind of pulling away from towards something or going towards something or neutral, you know, which it doesn't pull one way or the other. So I found that if I were to listen, look, pay attention, 
oftentimes I'm not someone who can, let's see, so let me try that a different way. So some people are very gifted, they're clairvoyant or they're clairsentient or they're in some way they can see. And they, I have been with people who actually see patterns, who see colors, who see, and I'm not that person. For me, it's much more subtle. It is like, it is like a thought comes, but it doesn't come from me. It's hard to explain what that is. It's very subtle. And for the many years, it took me 10 years to finally feel like I'd settled into being trusting of what I was hearing, seeing, thinking, feeling. It took a long time. What can I say? Yeah, that's good to hear. I know. And I used a pendulum. I learned how to use a pendulum, awesome. which I have used for finding water as well with, for cool. people sometimes. But it's like, as I began, I was just like, oh yeah, like this is really right. You know, I mean, I just was a, I'm a, I'm naturally doubting Thomas. So it's just like, okay. But then I kept realizing that, well, this is really working. This is really. Yeah. Working. So now you're a dowsing Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I never thought of that. That's right. <laughs> so that was really lovely, but I didn't douse for when I was sitting with the plant. It was more when I was choosing essences for people or for myself. And I realized somewhere along the line, and I was born, I'm sorry, I was raised Catholic. So I've always had a guardian angel. I left the church many, many years ago when I was 20 years old in a moment. It was just not a bad moment. It was just like, oh, no, this doesn't work. But the guardian angel part has stayed with me. So I thought, I think we all have guardian angels. I think we have some way, and believe me, I have four children and all that they've been through and are still alive. Sometimes we have more than one guardian angel. <laughs> I know, the whole team. <laughs> so I really sort of counted on that in a way and really feel that presence. And then I realized that every living thing has an angel or a spirit. And in Stinthorn, they called it a diva. You know, it has all these different names. It, it's its own essence. So when I choose a flower essence, when I make a flower essence, what I feel like what's really happening in the gathering the flowers with a lot of, you know, respect, delight, gratitude, after connecting with whether it's a flower or a tree or whatever, and placing them in this water and water being just the holder, you know, something very beautiful happens, which in the Bach flowers, it was suggested that you don't touch the flowers. You as the practitioner stay separate from the flowers, that it was just the flower and the water. That's all it should be in the plant that it came from. And I did that for a long time. And then there was a moment where I thought, you know what, no matter how this is happening, of course I'm part of this flower essence. Anybody who's making a flower essence is a part of that essence. Yeah, which yeah. Is why some people will be drawn to your essences or her essences or his essences or their essences. So that is really truly what happens. So I believed that, and it seems to be very true. So what what are your, of the, the trees that grow around you, what are the ones that are your favorite to work with? It's a very good question again. So the way that, the way that we began making the tree flower essences was my husband and I had spent a lot of time already in the forest together. I already knew the plants. We've been sitting with trees just to sit with them because they're just such good friends. And then one night we had a shared dream. We woke up in the morning, it was very powerful. It was, I remember it was in the, it was just before spring opened because the first flower essence we made, uh, which was the, which was Quaking Aspen, which back in Wendell, Massachusetts in the Hilltown was the first tree to flower. Kind of along, along the same time as Pussy Will because they're all the same. And we woke up in the morning and I, I, I was kind of jolted awake and I turned to him and I was like, I had this most amazing dream. And he said, was it about the trees? And I said, it was about the tree flowers, he said, and we're supposed to go get them. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. It was just this amazing. And we kind of looked at each other and I felt like neither of us really had time to do that, but we felt so drawn and so called that we did. We stepped into the asking and thought, what the heck? So we began making flower essences, some together, some he made, some I made. In the end, we made quite a few of the trees and then the shrubs and then the forest floor flowers also. So that all of them. And part of that came from some thinking that I had been doing for a few years before that moment, which was, it's great that Bach made these flower essences. These plants come from the UK. Right. Many of us came from the UK, you know, or Ireland or Europe or whatever, but what about our trees? Cause he did a lot of trees. I said, what about the trees that are here? And a few of them are the same. Quaking yeah. Aspen is one, Larch is another, but what 
about what I believed was that the best medicine was out our front door, our back yeah. door, or our woodlands. How, how would that work? So it was interesting. So we made all these essences. And in the end, there were a number of essences. The first, there were 18 trees that came forward, but nine sort of stepped forward, forward. Okay. So we, were, we realized these are trees we use and work with and sit with and lie with and gather from all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. so it, was, it seemed like an aha moment, like, oh, they know us, we know them, and here we are together. Mm. Next set of nine, we had had some experience with, but it didn't really want to be born for another few years until we had done the, the legwork cool. and sitting. And that's how the shrubs, and so that's how it all happened. And I decided not to get too wild. I mean, there's some companies that have like hundreds and hundreds of flower essences, and I think that's great. But again, in my Torian way, it's like, we have the set. This is really good. These really work. And right now, I'm so grateful because when we made these, this is back in 1989, 1990, 1991, those, those early years, late 80s, early 90s. And at the time, you know, we, most of us weren't really aware of big changes that were happening. I mean, we were more aware of what we should be doing and doing well, organically, collectively, sustainably. But almost every essence let us know that there was going to be a time that these essences would be really needed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say right now, with the degree of anxiety that is in our, well, probably globally. Consciousness, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that the flower essences can make a real difference for people. And if I could choose three flower essences right now, three essences in particular, I would choose quaking aspen, which helps us start a new path. The quaking aspens themselves are very fearless. They step into new land and they grow in community. Yeah. They grow wide and they shake their leaves, you know? So to show us that like, there's, you know, some, there might be something to be shaky about, but you know, we're here and you know, this tree can really support you. And I've found that I've been using that essence now for 30 something years mm -hmm. at least. And people love it. It's very helpful. The second tree is red cedar. Okay. or encourage really yeah. calms us so there's another it's a, it's a different kind of fearlessness the quaking aspen is like okay i can get started okay. um, the red cedar is like i take my stand mm -hmm. ability groundedness and i'm going to be here for you mm -hmm. there's there's two that are in third place one is linden because that linden because we have a, a native linden which is called basswood yeah american basswood yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so that one also is just like helps relieve the mental stress, the mental where we keep it all here going around mm -hmm. and around. Awesome. Just kind of like, you know, and it's the only evergreen that actually loses its needles. So it's not a true evergreen. Basswood? Oh. I'm sorry. Large. That's wrong. I, let me go back. Let me go to the basswood. No, the linden. So the linden has those flowers that are busy with the bees. Yes. Near water. And I feel so like they good, yeah. help us with the emotionalness of our our feelings and our you know all of that. So there's that. And there was the last one. Larch. So, or, or, not larch though, actually. So I don't know why I jumped into larch. So we said quaking aspen for sure, red cedar, linden. Oh, and white pine. I was oh, gonna say white, white pine. pine. I was like, are you looking for white pine? Yeah. And so white what pine. is it about white pine? It's very stabilizing. It's very balancing. And if you look at our nervous system, like our our, our, our spinal cord, how, yeah. how, this is how pine grows. And oh, yes. how old a pine is by each layer of the spreading branches. It's soft. Yeah. It sings. Yeah. It helps us in so many ways. And it's my favorite tea full of air so it has the essence of air so that has the essence of air cedar has the essence of earth linen has the essence of water mm -hmm. missing missing one here fire so i don't have a fire one. oh actually cedar can be both fire fire and and earth so it really helps us on all the levels with the elements as well cool yeah i love yeah. white pine we've got a nice big one up here oh, you so wonderful yeah we can't grow we can't have cedar red cedar though because of the apples oh because of the blight is it a blight that they get there's a uh, cedar rust. apple rust rust right that's right yeah so there's so many wild apples here and cultivated apples 
it's just like a there's no cedars around here so it's yeah. just like not, there's a cedar free zone but there's a lot of apples and hawthorns that's and... awesome oh and hawthorn i mean we could talk about the trees all day yeah <laughs> yes. like so much you know and and that essence and i always say with the flowers i just want to say this one thing you can take a flower essence which is really nice but you can also just sit with the flower yeah. the tree or the shrub and just be there and you receive that essence as well yeah so, so with like the cone bearing plants the trees do you use the pollen what do you use for the to make the flower essence well every evergreen every cone bearing has a male and a female so yes. the male is the pollen that uh, they call them strobiles which are full of that pollen mm-hmm. which we'll be seeing soon i think yeah. and then, then there's a female the cone is so tiny she's usually depending upon the tree you know no bigger than an almond no mm-hmm. that's been too big even smaller than that. An M&M. How's that? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And they're usually the females are high up. So you don't see them. Ah, Because what happens is the pollen in the breeze settles down, wafts up with the air and comes down on the female cones. And the female cones are upright to begin with. And once they're fertilized, they close, they hang down. Okay. The smarties. Yeah. Yeah. Out there, and most of them are usually have this incredible. It's hard to explain this color red, it's like reddish, pinkish, uh-huh. purplish. It's just yeah, like, yeah, oh, so gorgeous. I feel like it's the spring has that in many ways in many of the plants, and I feel like it's the mother's birth blood, you know. Uh-huh. So, oh, so, you use cool. the female flowers, female flowers, and the male as well. Yeah, okay, use both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool, and yeah. We always pray to find a place where there's either a hill near a tree or wow. my son, when he was younger, he was our, he was our total tree guy. He would awesome. just climb up like a monkey nice. and then bring <laughs> it down. Or... <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> That's great to have. <laughs> but, yeah, that was fun, but that was a good question. So, and I feel like I have a lifetime more to study more about the trees and learn more about them. And I encourage anybody who has trees nearby, whether it's in your backyard or whether it's in a nearby park, or whether you visit a sanctuary or another botanical garden, wherever your trees are, to take some time and get to know them. Absolutely. A lot for us, yeah. I'm definitely inspired to just go out into the woods today. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good day to go out in the woods. Mm -hmm. That's good. Every day is fun. You know, as a, as a final question, you've been involved in the herbal community for so many years now. Are there any changes that you've seen over the years that you think are, you know, interesting, or are there any things that you're looking forward to or that are emerging in the herbal community that you're excited about? Um, again, a very good question because I started, there was, I had nobody around me until I found the little well-being magazine and then met Susan Weed yeah. and had new herb sisters, but yes, it was very slow back then. And then it started picking up. I found that, or if I think back to it, there was a time I called the sweet spot, the sweet spot when enough people understood about it. You could have a conversation. They didn't think you were out of your mind. They weren't ready to like, you know, but they were ready to embrace what you had to share. And that was really lovely. But then what happened was as all things do, when it got to be a kind of a a certain size, then people had businesses. And then all of a sudden there were these other rules and regulations that the business world wanted to really put on us. And the question became, and the bigger question was, do you want to go with the science of herbalism? Do you want to go with the sort of the magic, traditional folkloric part? And you almost felt like you had, you you could make a choice. I'm going to say you didn't feel like you had to make a choice, but you could make a choice at the time. Right. And other people chose to kind of weave both together because there's something of value in both. Yeah. And along the way, though, we were gathering a lot of herbs. We were wildcrafting a lot of plants. Yeah. And a lot of the plants that we wanted, the places we used to gather them were now housing areas or mm-hmm. extensions of towns or... Right. Shopping mall. Or mall. Yeah, all those things were happening. It was very real. So Rosemary Gladstar again, Rosie, Mm -hmm. and a few other people, Christopher Hobbs being one. There were many people actually in the beginning started United Plant Savers because they realized that we really need to be paying attention to the herbs that we are using. Mm. Down in the Appalachian area, people have been sanging for a long time, gathering ginseng. 
but there's a point and some of them the old timers really knew how to sing you know yeah. they would and get the seeds and they knew how to process them and make sure they get back into the ground for more ginseng to grow newer people younger people who only had maybe a weekend class or just had read about it or heard about how much money they could make and that's not just with that was black cohosh yeah red trillium blue I mean, just many many of these woodland treasures were highly sought after and were worth a lot of money and um, sadly were gathered by the thousands and ten thousands of pounds wow so we had to really look at that and many of us did and started growing the herbs that we were going to use in our gardens and create shade gardens where some of these plants would really grow golden seal blue cohosh black cohosh some of the ones that we would use golden seal in particular is yeah. one that anybody can grow as long as yeah. you're a shady area it seems to delight in being planted and then just kind of spreading mm -hmm. um, it you know where it had been gathered too much because it was honestly used too often in too many formulas where it didn't need to be yeah uh, true. so that movement of growing plants with awareness not just to grow them for medicine but to grow them to place them back in the places where they had originally come from or the areas even where you live if, if there wasn't anything there like we came here in these woodlands and there wasn't any golden seal here but it was the typical kind of woods that they were growing mm -hmm. so they planted it in two or three areas and it's so awesome. happy yay so and some of the areas we'll never gather from but we'll mm -hmm. you know, appreciate and continue to kind of go in and take new babies out and plant them someplace else so there's that idea and I feel like if we have a good continuum it's that idea of sustainability yes but also reciprocity it's that yeah. relationship we have with the plants it's like you share with me what can I share with you and whenever I sit with the plant that's one of the first questions I ask thank you for inviting me over to sit with you what is it that I can share with you and what is it how can we have a friendship a relationship so as long as we're learning those relationships, it's going to stay healthy. Yeah. That idea, Pam's work with nature evolutionaries, Ars's work with bringing people in, many people, Robin Wall Kimmerer, yeah. her writings, we're beginning mm -hmm. to recognize these are our, this is our family. This mm -hmm. is our kin. I love that she uses the word kin. Yeah. Yeah. Each plant or tree or flower. When we recognize everything as our kin, we want to take care of it more. So that's happening, which I'm very excited for some of the people, some of the people with voices who are writing these incredible books mm -hmm. for us to read and pass on to other people and you know, share their vision, share their understanding, share their aha moments. It's just yeah. so great. And I have to say, this generation, your generation, I'm very excited you're here because <laughs> we're not going to be here forever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now you're, you, I, I, feel like, I feel like the elders for the last few years are really being honored you know, for the wisdom, for the craft, yeah. for the time, for the sharing, for the mistakes, for the aha moments, for all that we've made and, and pass on for this to continue. Because remember years ago, we all used to say a prayer at the end of our gathering together. This was the Herb Sisters that came together. And it was that one day there would be an herbalist in every community. Yeah. It's happening. <laughs> I just think what's important is that as people study, they study in the right way with the right people who are sending the right message. Yeah. Realizing that it's a lifelong study. Yeah. Mm. So. Yeah. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> Got to keep learning. I know it's yeah. true. So new farmers, new, for those of us who have been working for a while with plants and having to reach out to other people, we actually started two, two young women that we know. One is more local. One is a little further up north. We asked if they would consider growing for us. Nice. So they are now herb farmers doing really well. Awesome. And yeah. And we pay, we pay a lot because we feel like we want to pay the people who are doing the work that we can't do because we don't have a big enough space and the deer are eating everything. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And have, and you know, that respect, that honor and that reciprocity again. So mm -hmm. that's happening more and more. And and there's, uh, there's new farms that are coming up and they're still learning. They're admitting that. And they're also sharing what they are learning. So mm. it's the importance of creating a larger web of community where people are truly in connecting with one another about how can we, all those questions that come up, how can we do this wisely, sustainably? 
nourishing one another at the same time. And a book that I think every herbalist should have on her shelf and his shelf is the book that's by Anne Armbrecht, The Business of Botanicals, Exploring the Promise of Plant Medicines in a Global Industry. And she is trying to weave people internationally so that we all are on the same page. Awesome. And she just did an incredible program yesterday, a four hour conference. She's a part of the Herb Research Foundation mm -hmm. and her is SH, SH, hmm, Sustainable Herb Program, SHP. Cool. Um, go to Herb Research Foundation or Ann Armbrecht yeah. or her book. You can just type in, you know, the, the business of botanicals and you'll get a lot of information. The reality is those of us who've been buying from other people who've been buying from other people, we're trying to just buy from other people. But right. <laughs> years ago, it was buying from other people who had bought from other people. We became aware, Anne's book opened my eyes hugely. And the fact that many of the herbs are coming from Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. And the mean age, the median age, of the people harvesting was 70. Mm. Huh. Whoa. So it's a tradition for them, but the young people... Not doing it. Yeah. Not, not doing it. And part of it is they're not making enough money. So we all have to be willing to look at that. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And part of it also, it's not just about the money. It's about the honor. Yeah. Yeah. Of being a gatherer. You know, people just thought like, oh, that person just wild crafting. It's like, no, no, that person is doing amazing work. Because right. we know that the medicine that you're making came from someone who has a relationship with oh, yeah. their gathering. It's a whole that really makes a whole different energy yeah. to it yeah. yeah it's the the reciprocity there that's right. so important and Anne brings up also all the pieces of like so where is it stored and is it yeah. and you know on and, on and on anyway so those are questions that i think are the questions going forward and it's really about how do we support each other how do we not be just like these individual companies that are doing this but how do we weave a way together to yeah just to to continue the conversation and the reality of Herbs being a very important part of not only healing ourselves, but healing the planet. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. totally. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kate, for Welcome. your wisdom and stories and spending, you know, time with us and our listeners today. So this has been really fun. I'm, and I'm so really here. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to the plant cutting conference this September and learning from you directly more about plant essences That's so great. we should say one thing so i yes. am teaching yes <laughs> i'm i have a weekend in new hampshire with nancy phillips at heart song awesome. and i'll be doing august 4th through 6th it's a it's really a training on how to flower work essence. how to open open learn and bring flower essences into your life and to your practice and and also have a really amazing time while you're doing it so it sounds amazing. I would love to just spend time with you and Nancy Phillips in the same room too. <laughs> <laughs> so you can just send people to woodlandessence.com and all the information's there for pretty much anything that I do. So, and thanks to everybody here who came to the podcast to listen and, and hear my story. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you Kate. Kate. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. <laughs>